think her term was, can you hand over your relationship anarchist card now? You have a primary. Right. <laughs> Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult the medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 117. We're Finn and Emma, quarantined. Quarantined in our new place. We recently moved. <laughs> yeah, we just moved a few days ago. Bad time to move, but we're excited to be in a new place. And this week, we are talking with Dana and Peter. They've been together just about a year, and... They are self-described pansexual hedonist sluts. Yes. They're super fun. They're super fun. They've got great energy, and they've really built up a kick-ass community and network around them. And so they've got lots of uh, great stories and things to share. So we hope you enjoy this one. Uh, we enjoyed talking to them and uh, enjoyed getting to know them. Yes, they're awesome. You're going to love this interview. First off, a couple quick announcements. Uh, we have been doing a few extra things with our patrons. So because we're all quarantined and all all stuck at home, we're trying to give a little bit more to the community as much as we can. And we've been doing some game nights, have some guest speakers for some different Q&As, and then our monthly Q&As. So if you're interested in any of that, we'd if you're love feeling to, isolated, we'd love to have you join us. We're uh, you can find all that information on the website normalizingnonmonogamy.com and click on the Patreon button. Or in the show notes below your podcast player here, there's links as well that will take you directly there. Yep. And again, all of the information about them and us can be found at our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Please send us a message, send us an email, send us a voice message if you want. Those are all good options. We love hearing from people, especially in these crazy COVID times. <laughs> yes. Let's go talk to Dana and Peter. So, well, welcome. Yeah, welcome to the show. Uh, Dana and Peter. And we know very little about you other than your one-minute, very diverse elevator pitch you gave us when you sent us a voicemail, which is awesome. We don't yeah. get a ton of those, so we're it's happy to It's exciting when we get them. <laughs> uh, but yeah, maybe do you want to give us all a little bit of... Your one-minute elevator pitch, and then we'll dive into the weeds. Sure. I'm Peter, and uh, Dan and I have been together since uh, June of 2019. End of June. Yeah, end of June, right? Almost the last day. And uh, we are relationship anarchists. We both have other partners, and uh, Dana recently moved in. So we are um, exploring the cohabitation journey together. Uh, We are... Kingsters, we're in the swinging lifestyle, and um, we are transsexual hedonist unicorn sluts. There you go. <laughs> That's <laughs> and, quite the yeah. description. <laughs> and we'll we'll pick apart all of those maybe as we go. But are you are you comfortable sharing like approximate age range with people just so they kind of know who they're listening to? Sure, I'm staring fifty in the face like a couple months from now. Um, and I actually never said my name. I'm Dana and I'm 27. 
I constantly forget what age I am. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, it's again, wonderful to meet you both. And yeah, we're excited to hear each of your stories. I think probably somewhat individual before they came together, I would guess there's some, some history there. I, Whichever one of you would like to go first, maybe talking about... A little bit of your background. Yeah, background in non-monogamy. My history is shorter than yours. I would definitely say. um, I actually was monogamous with a partner out of college, or start of college, and was with them until July, August-ish of last year. And about four or five years ago, approximately, uh, we decided to open up our relationship, exploring different people, exploring different situations. I've always had in my head, maybe in the back of my head, what have you, the feeling that monogamy was not for me. So it was, even though I didn't jump into other partners at the time, my partner had, and it was one of those things where it just felt right. It, it felt like, oh, this feels like a relationship set that works for me and works for what I would like. So so, so you were monogamous with this partner, but they had been non-monogamous in the past? Is that Did I understand that right? Uh, no, they hadn't. They came to me asking if we could open up our relationship, which I was fine with. I sat down, thought about it. And went, sure. <laughs> kind Is that of, something kind that you had like. thought about before, like previously? Um, actually, yes. I had thought about it before, before him, even in high school, because I never dated a lot at all. And I had read books where non monogamy was something in the books, it wasn't like something positive or negative. It was just, oh, hey there's this non-monogamous couple or there's this non-monogamous situation. And so I was like, oh, okay. And uh, yeah, I know that. And it fit into my mindset and my thought process throughout my very short dating situations Mm -hmm. where every time that I was only dating one person while I am always when with a partner, I'm focused on them. It didn't feel right that I only had one partner. It didn't feel right to only, I I guess only focus my love on one person when there's so many more people to love in so many different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And so, so when they, this person, it was when this other person brought up non-monogamy, you said you were just kind of like, yeah, sure. Was there, did you have any concerns or did you just kind of like go right for it? Um, The only concern I had was if they would be jealous of me searching for other partners at the time I was not very sexually active. I was not very, I was going through a very dark emotional time. Depression was hitting me very hard. Uh, So I was very happy that they were able to find somebody else to kind of release or be with as well as me in a way. Like, Almost like it was kind of lifting some of that burden from you a little bit. Yes. Yeah. I didn't have to be there for them in all, in all things. So that helped. So at the time I wasn't looking for other partners because I was dealing with my own stuff. (laughs) 
Right. Um, right. So it was very much like a, yes, this, this feels right. This, you can find people to fill needs that I cannot fill right now. And I may not be able to fill certain ones later kind of thing. Right. Did it, so was it sort of a poly dynamic originally or like what was the dynamic when you first started exploring? Um, it was sort of a hinge at first cause I wasn't looking. Um, and they had, and they got another partner, which there's who they're still with. I think that would be a hinge because she and I weren't dating, but we were semi friends, just metamorph friendly. Yeah. Um, makes sense. So, yeah. I would think that that would be very hinge ish. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, I'm sure there's a lot more to it and I'm sure we'll hear a lot more of it, but maybe a, a, a little bit of the background on your side, Peter. Sure. So I always knew that I was unconventional. I was always a, uh, a geek, always a reader. Um, you've heard this part of the story probably, and I know you have because I've heard similar things from other guests, right? I came to non-monogamy through the science fiction path, through Stranger to Strange Land and Moon is a Harsh Mistress in particular. And they resonated with me very strongly. And I always felt like that was so natural to just create the relationships that were right for you. And I feel like, you know, Valentine Michael Smith was maybe the original relationship anarchist before anybody had ever coined that term, right? Because he just, he just loved who he wanted to love, right? Um, and how, and, and how he wanted to. The problem was I kept falling in love with very monogamous people and I kept agreeing to monogamy because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. Right. I bought into all the, you know, societal messages and pressures to, you know, settle down with someone. And, you know, I eventually ended up in a 20 year uh, marriage to a monogamous person and did the whole thing, you know, three kids and, uh, uh, exited that marriage in, uh, 2017 and started on the, you know, the next part of my journey, actually exploring, you know, the relationship styles that I wanted to to live, living my life authentically. Um, there was obviously some healing that had to happen there and some change. You know, I had to figure out why it was that I kept agreeing to things that weren't in my joy. Mm-hmm. So that took a little bit of processing and, uh, and, you know, some, uh, some failed relationships that happened, both romantic relationships, uh, that happened as I entered the marriage and also a lot of damage in friend relationships as I sort of had the, supernova of, well, I'll just, you know, essentially hit on everybody, right? <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, here I go. Um, and uh, that didn't go well. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, if you're, if you're opening yourself up, uh, you know, to the world, you know, don't necessarily like um, flirt with everybody and check out websites on consent to flirt. It's a thing. And, uh, you know, it's some learning that I had to do and I caused some damage on the way. But as I, uh, as I crossed those thresholds, um, I ended up going to play parties. And in particular, uh, one of these play parties, you know, really introduced me to, uh, to the concept of hearing a no with gratitude. And that concept turned my world upside down. And it turned me from a world of scarcity in relationship to one of abundance. And everything since that night, and it was Halloween night of 2018, um, has been 
like a complete sea change. Set me on the path to meeting Dana and set me on the path to meet my other partners. And um, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's definitely something that is, uh, is definitely a incredible thing to do to stop thinking of no as a bad thing to hear and to realize that when someone can give you their no, that that means that when you hear a yes from them, you can trust them and you can trust yeah. that yes, right? That's, that's made all the difference in, not just in romantic relationships, but in, I think in my way of relating to the world overall. Right. Right. No, that's, that's a, uh, really great thing to hear because we've, we've definitely seen that from other people as well. And it's, it's awesome that you bring it up. Um, and that it was so impactful for you as well, right. That it, that it really kind of shifted everything. What, I guess, what did, what did your relationship, I guess, coming out of your marriage, like, had you tried non-monogamy? Like, had you tried to broach the subject with your wife and it, it, or I guess coming out of that marriage, where were you? And like, how did you ramp into Halloween night, 2018? So, um, we had actually experimented with non-monogamy very early in the marriage. Um, and she had had a boyfriend. And we didn't have a lot of the, the tools and the language and the learning that, you know, uh, that may be available uh, today and nonviolent communication. And, and maybe we didn't pick the right partner out the gate, but you don't know, right? All this, you, know, you don't know all those things uh, when you, when you uh, fall for someone, right? But it didn't end well. She broke it off with him. And then that was the, well, see, that didn't work. We're never doing that again. Okay. Right. Yeah. And you know, the door was closed uh, to you know to non-monogamy, and it it stayed closed. And that was not great for me because I knew I wasn't inherently monogamous. And then you know, as sometimes happens in relationships, when you know when the sex life waned, when the romantic life waned, and when the relationship really started having trouble, um, I did what a lot of people do: I cheated. I, um, and, uh, and you know, that I, I actually have a debt of gratitude to that person that, you know, actually I was, I was cheating with them. They didn't like it. They didn't like to be cheating, but they wanted to be with me. Um, and they were like, we need to do something about this. Right. I can't be in this relationship with you when, you know, you're sort of like creating an unreality field for your spouse. Ultimately, I told my spouse that we were not working, that monogamy was not going to work for me. I wanted to have the conversation about doing repair in the relationship that was not going to be okay. So you were, you went to her looking to try to repair the relationship and figure out ways to move forward, potentially getting to other people, but not, you know, you wanted to ultimately repair that relationship and it just, it didn't end up working out. Right. But I knew it wasn't going to, I knew repair was not going to look like a monogamous marriage. Yeah. Right. Makes sense. And that right. was outside of her boundary. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, so a very short time with couples counseling later, uh, I made the decision to separate. So, you know, it was just clear it was not going to be reconcilable. Now that relationship still ran afoul of, challenges in my way of dealing with relationships that I hadn't processed before the, you know, the 2018 epiphanies, right? 
and ended up breaking up uh, with that person as well. Um, you know, the person I thought was going to be the gateway to, you know, my, my new non-monogamous life because she was non-monogamous, right? But I still owe, I still owe that person a, a huge debt of gratitude because I, who knows how long I would have muddled along, right? Unhappily, you know, without that sort of breakthrough of, you know, I need to do something. I need to change something. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's definitely a hard thing to go through. Right. But it sounds like ultimately you've wound up being in a better place for yourself at, at the time being. Right. Um, I guess maybe where were the two of you, not necessarily physically, but like where were <laughs> each of you when you met each other? Like when you came together, what? <laughs> this is a great story. <laughs> what is, is yeah. The, 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 the two of us? Story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, when, when the two of you came together, where were you at <laughs> in your in your journeys? <laughs> I'm excited uh, for this one. So he loves telling this story, so I I'll let him tell it. <laughs> okay. So um I was in one of my uh one of my new relationships with a partner. Um they were actually in a in a service relationship to me. And um uh we had gone to a party together, a play party, and I had scheduled too many things for this weekend. Um, I had scheduled going to that play party, which was an all-day hedonism party, and then there was a, a tribe with one of the people that I had just started dating, her sort of extended tribe of, of kinksters and playmates that was having a pool party, and she wanted me to go to that party. Um, so I was like, well, it's an all-day party, you know, the first party. So I'll, I'll sneak over to the, you know, to the pool party for a couple hours and hang out there. Also, one of my other partners that I had recently started dating was going off to start a grad school residency for two weeks. And her husband and her other boyfriend and I had conspired for weeks. And this was the last opportunity, the last night before she left for her residency to take her out for a really nice dinner and a fun date that she didn't know was anything more than date night with her husband. Ah, okay. So you had a busy weekend. <laughs> Slightly, yeah. So one day. This is all Saturday. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right. So, uh, but she needed to get up early for, to leave for her residency. So the date actually ended fairly early. We had a lovely dinner. The waiter was in on it. So he had a little lesson in non-monogamy because <laughs> um, there were the three of us and her. And it was clear we were all four, you know, uh, together, or all three of us with her. Um, he brought out the, you know, the dessert menu that, uh, that the one partner had prepared for her of the, uh, of the various activities that she got to choose from. And it was everything from go out to cook s'mores to, uh, to go play pool. And we were prepared for anything that she picked. And uh, she picked to, you know, going out to play pool. And I was in my kilt. So I was at this, like, biker bar in my kilt. <laughs> so... <laughs> it's a little different. Um, <laughs> they probably enjoyed it. I Everybody definitely, I definitely stood out. But she wanted to, you know, she wanted to get home early and get to sleep so she could leave for residency. So I looked at the clock and I'm like, huh, well, I know I'm in West Virginia and I, I know the party's back in Virginia, but it's, you know, it's an all day party that's going into the wee hours of the morning. I can make it back and, you know, rejoin the party still in progress. So I called my son and I said, I'm coming back. I know there won't be that much of the party left, so 
hopefully you've made some friends and had some fun today. Um, why don't you see if you can arrange some shenanigans for, um, for when I get back, you know, just to make the time, you know, um, most effective since we'll only have a couple hours left for the end of the party. So we have that conversation. She's like, yes, master. She's kind of like scared and excited. That. Well, it turns out that she had met Dana earlier in the day and you can pick up the story from here. And, well, we we played together and all of that. So we had a group of about four people at this point. And she turns off her phone and goes, turns to uh, turns to me and the other people, and she goes, "Oh no, we have to set up shenanigans." What does he mean? And I don't remember if it was me or if it was somebody else in the group that they just go, "Sex." He means sex. He's coming back to a hedonist party and wants shenanigans here. So let's find a space and figure out all of that. So in the end, we end up laying on a on a sofa while we're waiting for him to show up. I'd never met him. had no idea what he looked like. Anything. It was just, oh, God, Master's coming. We have to set up. So we had planned out, like, well, we could potentially use this space or this space, because the house had several floors and several spaces to use. But we had no idea exactly when he was showing up. So when he, being the last person in, he opened up the, we had a good view of the front door. So when he came in the front door, she'd exclaimed, oh, hey, Master, this is, it's Master. I stand up and walk over and ask him if he'd like a hug, because I'm a very touch person, my like to give hugs and he goes oh certainly and so this beautiful woman comes up to me and offers a hug don't even know your name at this point and um she comes up to me and she she whispers in my ear i'm really sorry i think i broke your sub Apparently they've been playing and it got a little rough earlier in the day. And uh, there was a little nipple play that got a little bit uh, intense. And I was like, oh. And it was just endearing the way she said it. I reached my arm around and I don't even remember doing this, but Dana obviously does distinctly. (laughs) Um, Apparently, just instinctively, the attraction, the connection, my arm just slid down her back to her butt and just gave her a little squeeze like electric connection we've been together ever since the shenanigans did occur they were lovely and then at the end of the party so it's like 3 a.m we're all tired we're in the kitchen we're figuring out how far we have to go and all all this i've been there since nine o'clock in the morning so i'm tired as i'll get out and i'm like oh yeah no i've i've got this long way to drive and i've got like 45 minutes to go like we're, we're Blah, blah, blah. He goes, yeah, I've got around the same time. Where are you at? Assuming, of course, that with the way things are, because one of my partners lives obviously in West Virginia. The other one is, uh, you know, nearly an hour away, um, still in Virginia, but just barely, right? Um, and I'm like, okay, well, the way this is going, she's from like, you know, Southern Maryland or something like that. Someplace like at least an hour away. <laughs> right, exactly. Ended up being that I was just down the street from him. Wow. Just down the street. <laughs> so I was like, okay, universe, message 
the siege. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That's a that's a fun that's a fun meeting story. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is. And I had but I had one. I had a question. So we've heard of swinger parties. We've heard of kink parties. And you've re- you've referred to this as a hedonistic party. Maybe do you want to maybe give people a little bit of background on like what that is versus like a a kink party or a a, a swinger party? Sure. Um, and and I uh, I can actually answer this from the perspective as a of a party attendee, and also now I organize uh, occasional parties, house parties. This particular party and this particular party organizer kind of characterizes his parties as swalinky, um, which means they're, they've got a swinger aspect, they've got a non-monogamous aspect, um, and they've got a kinky aspect to it. It's sort of like bring yourself, come as you are, play with who you want to, how you want to. With consent. With consent, please. <laughs> and thank you. You know, so it's, these these are sort of hybrid parties. This, you know, and, and particularly the Hedonism Party was definitely, a, you know, a hybrid event. So, you know, you might downstairs see someone getting flogged and upstairs you might have five people, you know, having an orgy, you know, in the big queen bed. So, well, not that big a queen bed. So, big enough. It's like queen bags beds are only so big, right? Right, right. Yeah, you have to get a little creative. So we have a story of a twin bed that held six people on it. So (laughs) that's ambitious. (laughs) But there, there are um, you know there are venues that are very specifically like swinger lifestyle venues, right? And they're definitely you know oriented towards we're here to have sex, right? Uh, and then, of course, there's your every major metropolitan area has its dungeon, right? Mm-hmm. It's like we're really here to have kinky play, right? Um, but the interesting thing I've seen is almost every lifestyle club I've gone to has one little room in the corner with a St. Andrew's cross tucked up. There's like, oh, wait, this is our kink room, right? And, you know, and most of the dungeons attempt to at least have you know, a bedroom or a bed off in a corner, an alcove somewhere. It's like, and if you really want to go have sex, you know, you can do that over there. So it's like, there is no hard line, you know, between swinger and king. And, you know, I I find that people try and draw those lines, but it's, it's not murky. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so where along each of your journeys, did you get into the kinky, side of things because it sounds like you had both discovered that before you met each other in some fashion and i wanted just to add on that too i know you talked a little bit about the dom sub dynamic and could you describe that a little bit for listeners who might not be as familiar like how that worked for you but oh sure and this was actually my first uh, service relationship as a dom you know as, as master with a capital m and it was really interesting because we set this routine like in text messages you know i you know, me and I, you, you know, always with capital. And when, uh, when she was referring to herself, always with lowercase letter, like these little interesting power, you know, dynamics that you would put into it that were almost, you know, that never even, you know, it's not like we saw them in a book, right? We created these rituals dynamically in the relationship, but it was a really interesting thing. I didn't seek it out. She actually asked to be in service and I was like, okay, um, mm-hmm. let me 
You might have to explain in service. Okay. To, uh... Sure. To be in service is basically submitting yourself to someone else's demands, someone else's will. And it's definitely a power exchange. And it's also a responsibility, you know, on the part of the person who is accepting that service. Right. Uh, I learned a lot of lessons, you know, this is like most of the time, you know, this was my first rodeo. So I I definitely learned some lessons, you know, like you can ask too much and, uh, uh, you know, and basically put someone in a position where like they really want to serve. They want to do all these things that that you're asking and they're, they're just not able to do it. And then, you know, then they've got consequences of, you know, you know, serve out a punishment, you know, for a certain length of time, uh, you know, think of it as a timeout, right? You use different different mechanisms. And if they don't get it done that day, they have to do it the next day. Now, service can be really interesting. This person's first service was to not smoke anymore. Interesting. Yeah. Right? So I don't I'm your I'm your master. I don't enjoy smoke. You can be in my service, but not as a smoker. Right? I'm not a, and I said I'm not a doctor, right? So you have two choices. You know, you can you can do this cold turkey or you can go get a doctor's appointment and set up a cessation program, you know, describe it to me and that will be your service. Right. And she opted the cold Turkey route, which more power to her. Cause that was a, that was a hard few days and hard few weeks and a hard few months. Right. Uh, yeah. But she did it and she's, she is not a smoker, even though she's not in service, she's not a smoker to this day. Wow. She is amazing. Right. <laughs> and you know, like you will stop drinking diet Mountain Dew. Right, these two liter bottles of Diet Mountain Dew are not for you anymore. You will drink water. Right, you will tell me when you finish your water bottle. You will you will get a water bottle. You will carry it with you, and every time you finish that water bottle, you'll report to me that you finished it. You'll refill it. You'll start again, and you'll tell me when you finish the next one. Right, this is service. Sound like a gym trainer. What's that? (laughs) Right. Sound like a gym trainer. (laughs) Right. You know, um, but in a power exchange way, as opposed right. to a, you know, and, uh, you know, so you're getting something out of this, right? You're, you're affecting, you're affecting change in someone's life. You're also reaping the rewards. I mean, like, literally, it was a better relationship for me to be in a relationship with someone who wasn't a smoker. I enjoyed that more, right? But, you know, the fact that this person had willingly submitted to that, and said, yes, yes, sir, I will do that. You know, that's an amazing thing, right? So that's kind of what service is, and that's, you know, uh, an expression of dominance. Dominance can also be shine my shoes. can also right. be, mm-hmm. right. And, my, and how, how did you, I guess, become interested to Finn's original question? Well, I mean, maybe the question is now sort of, you so this person came to you asking for this and you had never done this so did you immediately go out and try to learn as much as you could about it or was it yeah how did you go about that (laughs) Uh, my my adventure into kink was literally ooh, how much can i learn about this how much can i read because that's who i am i'm just like let me research everything but yeah, no, and I think I, want, I mean we definitely want to hear about it. I just I'm yeah, no, 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 I'm just curious because like that could be overwhelming because you know it's not like he was out seeking submissives to you know do things for him. It was this person came to him and he had never even considered it, which I just find 
it's interesting. And I guess, how did you go about learning it? So you were doing it safely and consensually, right? Well, the consent was easy. You know, basically I, I, I established, you know, I, I had done a lot of learning on consent and I basically said, I set a framework, basically, uh, a, uh, think of it as a, a, a big red button where, um, I submissive could have the option to exit service at any moment, at any time with no judgment with no consequences by simply telling me I withdraw three times. And that was it. They were no longer in service. And, you know, by setting that framework and by making it safe to withdraw, I think they were actually able to stay in service longer, even when it was harder because they knew that they were at choice. Right. Right. It was their choice to stay in service. It wasn't like they were in chains. Did I read that in a book? No. I mean, I had known some things about dominance and submission relationships from talking to friends who had been in that sort of relationship. I had seen some, you know, in writings online. But I, to be honest with you, uh, I improvised a lot. Well, and were you doing, like, I guess things where she or your submissive could be in physical danger? Like, because I think that's where people could get a little concerned, right? Is if you're tying people up or doing things that could be harmful to their health without like learning how to do those properly. Yeah, no, I, um, so I am learning to be a rope top and like in that I am like, I don't do suspension, right? right all my rope right. work is on the ground. Right. And even the rope work on the ground, all of it is after I've watched the videos and read the, you know, read online and studied anatomy and gone to a rope class and learned from people, you know, sure. like, having scissors nearby. Yes, and, right. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your right. Yeah, yeah. With that stuff, you know, you can do permanent nerve damage. Sure. Quickly, right. Sure. You know, so, um, but no, in the, in the, in the service relationship, I wasn't asking any like dangerous predicaments. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah. Certainly, quitting smoking was painful and hard, but, you know, uh, and even there, I was like, well, you know, make your choice, you know, go to a doctor or. Sure. sure. And, and, and I, I try to make sure absolutely clear, like, this was your call, right? You know, like, I'm getting, you know, the only, the only boundary is you won't be a smoker at the end of it. How you get there, you have these two paths, you know, yeah, yeah. so, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. No, that's, that's great. I just wanted to make sure that for people listening, right, that are like, Oh, I've been thinking into getting into a dom-sub relationship and you just do it, right? And for, I think, some of the psychological piece, right, it sounds like you were, they were fairly benign activities for the most part. It wasn't, there was no real risk to health without, you know, do, like you said, if if there is, you're doing classes, you're taking all the necessary precautions. Yeah, That's but, all. but what I what I would say is I did learn you know, in terms of psychological harms, right? Sure. Yeah. Putting yeah. someone in a position where where they are they are giving themselves pressure to perform for you all right. these services. Right. And in this case I was demanding that they get a certain number of hours of sleep, but also get physical exercise, drink all this water. Uh at the same time, you know, she had introduced uh Dana and I and we had very quickly fallen into a triad relationship. So the three of us also wanted to spend time together. Right, right. So it can and, be difficult to balance all that. Right. So, like, she was like, I need to go to sleep now. You guys still want to play. 
I'm not going to get my sleep. I'm going to end up having to suffer a consequence if I don't get my sleep. Right. It turned into a, it turned into a painful challenge and dynamic for her. And she ultimately ended the relationship because she felt she couldn't do both things. She couldn't enjoy the relationship with us and satisfy her service. And it started to not be enjoyable. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. She did have the option, right, to end the service if she wanted to and still continue the relationship with you two, right? Like she just chose to to what she wanted at that moment. Right. That was before her. Um yeah. but you know, it was you know, uh, I I I'm sure that enough damage was done because I wasn't listening. I wasn't hearing how hard it was for her. Right. So yeah. it wasn't, you know, like that hurts a relationship. Right. Yeah. 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 That makes not, sense. You're not hearing that someone's like struggling, you know, right. um, that does damage to a relationship. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, we don't want you to speak for her. No, so no. I was just curious. For sure. Um, so I guess Dana, how, when, when did you come across kink? And it sounds like <laughs> yours was very much a research based decision well, <laughs> or a research informed decision. When you start looking into stuff like this in high school, it is most definitely research-based first, or at least it was for me. Um, I was interested in it because I was playing a text-based role-playing game, and some people were talking about tying people up and beating people, and I was like, oh, interesting. So I started asking questions, because there was a side chat where you could just kind of, out of character, talk to people. So I was asking questions, and, and I was getting responses of, Oh yeah, uh, this, that, and the next thing. Oh yeah, if, if you could check out, check this book or what have you. Google this. I googled a lot, <laughs> um, and so just kind of most of it was just research up until about three-ish years ago, I want to say, when a friend of mine tied me up. We had a lot of conversation and a lot of we we negotiated that scene days beforehand literally over the phone and then together in person negotiated it nearly to death, which was fine because it made us both feel very safe, safer. And, um, we knew sort of what was going to happen, but not everything. So some things were a surprise and it was, yeah. So since, since then it's just been a wild ride of learning new things and trying new things and seeing what works, what doesn't, keeping up with communication and so on and so forth. Very cool. And maybe what does the relationship look like for the two of you right now? Yeah. You, you mentioned relationship anarchy. You mentioned sluts, uh, hedonists, sluts, kinky, <laughs> yeah. swingers, yeah. everything. You're a, a fitness coach. It sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> well, after I met him, I did lose what? 30, 40 pounds due to illness, losing appetite, but also the amount of sex that we had in that, in that time span was kind of ridiculous. Still happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's, it's actually been a really good year health wise. Yeah. You know, we call it the hedonist slut workout plan. What was the question? <laughs> what is what is the relationship dynamic, but you know, between the two of you and maybe your orbits look like today? So there's the two the the two of us, and we each have other partners. Um, I I have you know three people that I call my I love yous, um, right? You know, sort of the the, the people that that are 
you know, if you go and find my fat, they're the ones that are, you know, dating slash polyamorous, you know, relationship would be. Uh, I have other play partners that I'll, I'm happy to play with whenever we're together. Um, we have a tribe. Uh, we call it the hive. It's, it's realized in a discord room in terms of its day to day existence, but it's not a chat room. It's a, it's a duocracy of people who are all in some connection, whether friendship or romantic connection. And we plan events. We plan going out to clubs together. We plan vanilla uh, things of just randomly showing up at right. trivia nearby or going to a restaurant. Someone's hungry. So it's like, Oh, Hey, um, I'm hungry and I don't want to cook. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, well I can meet you here. And then like two or three other people are like, yeah, yeah, let's, let's do this. And sort of expands from there. Right. Some people have coined the term for it. Tribal Amory, right? <laughs> you know, it's some hybrid between a polycule and a friend tribe. Yeah. So that's uh, the, the relationship anarchy part of it does make it sort of amorphous in that, one thing, you know, uh, that surprises people is we live together and we have zero relationship agreements, right? We don't exercise veto power. We don't check in like, well, you know, is this person okay? Right. The only thing that we would confer on is if we want to play with somebody together, right? We would both have to be an enthusiastic yes. There's, you know, the, the, the term in the swinging community is, you know, don't take one for the team. You've heard that before yeah. thousands times, right? You know, so we are at choice in who we're relating with and how we're relating. Um, so, you know, we wouldn't do that if we weren't an enthusiastic yes. Now, you know, we might explore something new because we haven't tried it before and we don't know if we're going to like it. You know, that's different from trying something that you're not really into. Right. 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 So, so you, so each of you basically has full autonomy to do anything with any, any partner or any person that you come across and you're not really primaries in any way. You're everything is sort of just an equal playing field as it, as it is today. Even though you're, yeah, you're cohabitating. Right. I mean, yeah, it's funny because one of my other partners, <laughs> the heck out of me. she's like, happy. And, and I'm known in the scene as happy. Um, you have a primary played in Dana. And I'm like, really? <laughs> what does that mean? And, you know, and, uh, and, you know, she's, she knew she, she knew she was getting my goat because I'm a relationship anarchist. I think her term was, can you hand over your relationship anarchist card now? You have a primary. Right. <laughs> <laughs> she was smoking fun at him. Yeah. So what, so what is it that I guess, you know, for somebody listening who's not familiar with relationship anarchy, cause there's probably at least a couple of people. What is it if they hear you're living together, you're doing the show together, right? Not that our show defines your relationship style. Um, <laughs> no, it does not. That would be pretty cool power if we had that. Yeah. But so you, you, you are, you know, cohabitating together, but you don't define that as being primary partners. So what is, I guess, how do you define things in, in your relationship then? I don't consider myself like a, an expert in relationship anarchy. You know, I've read the manifesto, so I guess, <laughs> you know, that, that puts me up, you know, uh, over anyone who hasn't. But the, the core tenet of relationship anarchy is to realize that we are in relationship with every person we interact with. 
from our baristas at our local Starbucks, who we adore, to your mail carrier, you know, to the people that you're in intimate partnership with. And the freedom and the joy of relationship anarchy is realizing that you get to define that relationship and you are also responsible for creating that relationship um, with each one of those people. And it's essentially on you not to hand that over to someone else to define it for you. And when you take that responsibility, it's like the, the, I heard this recently and I, I need to find the, I need to find the, the citation or the quote for it. Cause it just blew me away. It's like, you, you know, you heard the Spider-Man quote with great power comes great responsibility. I read a writing that flipped it on its head. And it's like, by taking responsibility, you're, you are, you have great power. Right. Like power comes from taking responsibility. And I was like, that's amazing. And I think that's, you know, one of the beauties of relationship anarchy is taking responsibility for your relationships. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to give Dana a chance to, to what is your, <laughs> I guess, relationship? Uh, Polycule? Yes. That's a good, that, that's much better. <laughs> Because in the end, it starts looking like a molecule if you start drawing it out. Right. Because <laughs> inner dating and all of that. I'm also, I do sort of take bits and pieces from relationship anarchy. I take bits and pieces from uh, regular, regular polyamory, like straight up, many love. And I just sort of, just like in religion, politics, what have you, I sort of take things and go, I'm making my own. <laughs> so I would truly say that we are polyamorous with each other. It, in the same term of relationship anarchy, we are polyamorous with each other. So we have many love with each other, but with also many other people. I have, I'm dating people that he's also dating. I'm dating people that I'm dating separately. I'm, I have play partners and people that I go on like, small get-togethers with. I have girl nights with some people. I have just sit down and cuddle puddles and, and just morphing things like that. So I have, I also have several partners that are very, very close to me. Um, but I treat every relationship as its own, regardless of what connection it has to another relationship. So my relationship with a partner that he also has a relationship with I take that and I don't even think about, well, beyond if it's affecting the current relationship, I don't think about their relationship unless if it is current, unless if some conflict or something is currently affecting the relationship I'm having with that person. Right. So if, so if, if Peter was to end his relationship with that person, there wouldn't be like, well, I've ended the relationship. Now you must also end the relationship because that's how we do things. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's no. If he ends a relationship with, with this person and comes to me with that kind of thing or request, my answer would probably be a flat out no. <laughs> like, unless if there was some underlying factors, but that would also be a, I would try to gather as much information as possible. I'm a researcher. I, I like to gather up all the data. I'm a data junkie. Simple term. Uh, <laughs> So if he ended up ending the relationship, I would still have this relationship with this person. It might be a little rougher due to the fact that they, that they may have, mattering on how the relationship ends, it might be a little bit harder, but it would be, still be something that 
it would be, well, my relationship with this person is not defined by their relationship to another partner, I guess is the easiest way to say it. Oh, one yeah. difference in your um, relationship map is that you have a long-distance relationship with a couple. I have three long-distance relationships. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Two of them are play partners. Right. So one of them, both of them want to become more. So, right. yeah, um, I I have long-distance, like, as in states and states and states away, like out to California, up to New England, down to the southern states is actually the three yeah, I've got I've got relationships that span at least the United States right now. So so, so how do do you travel a lot, or do you mostly just communicate, you know, via video chat and stuff like that? Um, video chat, gaming with them, text chats, traveling a lot. I think last year I went up to New England about four times in the span of a year, four or five times. Seeing them at conventions when they're coming around, going out. Um, and then when I'm in their area, making time to see them, small things like that. Yeah. So, so I, I have to imagine there's people listening that are wondering, are your days longer than our days? Because that seems like a, <laughs> that seems like a lot of things to do in a 24 hour period. Yes. And I'm just, how do you manage it all? <laughs> With a Google Calendar. That is currently scheduled out to July. So when we, so it was good. I think we gave you like three weeks for this interview, which probably wasn't enough time. <laughs> it was perfect for the day that it was the day and the time that right, it was right. picked. That's a great. Oh, good. Day. Oh, good. <laughs> we also had like a date night sort of situation right after work. So it was date night. Gotta go and get the. Gotta go and get the headset. Right. And here we are. Right. <laughs> perfect. So your so your days are like scheduled down to like ten minute increments. I would I'm guessing like that, that just like I just am curious like and I and I'm not trying to be critical in any way. Just like it sounds exhausting to a lot of people. It would seem very exhausting I or think. or just very tough to manage. And I'm just curious how you do manage it for for anybody who's like I really want to do exactly what she's doing, but I don't have the time to do it. Yeah, having the Google Calendar has helped a lot, and being very open and communicative is doing wonders for me having a calendar and then I'll be on like, okay, Cupid or, or open or talking to someone on FET or whatever. And they want to schedule getting, sitting down for drinks. Cool. I instantly tell them, Hey, I have a calendar that is super full. Here's some very specific days and sometimes very specific times that I can schedule with you. Does this work for you? I am a very time-sensitive person. It's in my time is precious to me, and I feel that when I schedule with somebody, the time that I schedule with that person, I then also try to achieve because my time is precious to me. I feel that everybody's time is precious to them. I don't want to waste it. Yeah, you don't. It sounds like you don't want to like spend time like shooting the shit, I guess, for lack of a better phrase. Like you, you want to like actually get to know people and, well, or, and or to time. make plans and then cancel them at the right. last minute or right. all, yeah, all variations of that for sure. Yeah. Or ghosting. Yeah. Or any of that. Yeah. Um, and if rescheduling needs to happen, the rescheduling conversation happens as soon as I find out of, Oh, Hey, sorry, there's a scheduling conflict or, Oh, Hey, sorry. I forgot to put something or someone else forgot to put something or what have you, like something didn't happen. 
or death in the family. That is, that has happened recently. And I had, I've rescheduled that conversation normally happens as soon as I find out it is open communication of, Oh, Hey, I need to hit these people up. It seems like the days seem long, but they flow nice enough that I don't feel overwhelmed with my days. I don't feel overwhelmed with the amount of people and the amount of connections that I'm creating and, and nurturing and loving on. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's wonderful. And I mean, you found what works for you and what feels fulfilling for you. Hopefully both of you, that's what it sounds like. I mean, every day starts with meditation for me. Not a long time, 10 minutes. And then usually touch, connection, sex with Dana. One of those three or all of them. Right. You know, then we're in the rush off to work, get through the work day, and then whatever we have for the evening. And then we close, you know, uh, together at the end of the day, reconnect at the end of the day. I don't even necessarily feel like overwhelmed by all the things that we're doing because it's like a flow, right? It's just, we're going in the, in the moment, living in the moment of the next thing. What's the next thing? What's the next most important thing? What's the next thing on the calendar? And it feels good, right? If it felt bad, if I felt overwhelmed or stressed by it, or I didn't want to do it, that would be different. Right. right, of course. Right. I have I have blackout days. Like my birthday, I've completely blocked off on the calendar of I will schedule this day out however I want. <laughs> like my my personal calendar or like or if I'm feeling overwhelmed, I'll block off time of like I'm going to take a breather. I'm just going to sit and read or like it seems kind of lo- extreme logical or extreme clinical, I guess, but like literally scheduling out self time and self relaxation and just scheduling it out. seems kind of cold, but it, it works for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, I think, yeah, it's amazing that you are doing that because self care is very important, right. For all of us. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like you've both surrounded yourselves with tribes and cules of different variations. Yeah. And it seems that logically that probably most of your friend group is part of this open network and community of people. But are you are you out to other friends and family about sort of this, your, your relationship styles? Yeah, I actually have a funny story. I was out to my mother for a very long time. <laughs> she let the cat out of the bag to my sisters. I have two sisters. She let the, the cat out of the bag to my sisters within a couple months, but then told me about it. Very apologetic. And she said that they wouldn't come to me until I, until I told them. And so I was like, cool, I'm not going to come out to them until they, <laughs> until either something happens or what have you. The information's out there. And I just came out to my father a week ago, um, and he took it very, very pleasant. I do a summer, my family does a summer, my, my mother's side of the family does a summer beach house type deal. So in August, I think it was August, it was either July or August, I show up and, I'm, and I sit down on the sand and I go, so I added two more people to my roster. And my, fr- my family goes, what? I was like, yeah, I added two more lovers to my roster. <laughs> And the reaction, because most of them had had never heard that I was poly. And uh, the reactions varied from, 
um, a cousin who thinks polygamy is abuse, straight up, and she had no idea what polyamory was. Um, her going, uh, to just cousins going, oh, no, no, that sounds great. That sounds, <laughs> you do you. So I've had positive experiences with being very, awesome. very open and authentic with myself. And with awesome. Family. Yeah, that's great to hear. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm out with, with uh, my parents, with my brother, and I'm out with my closest friends, uh, my, my friends from high school. I was, I was the one who was, like, in high school, the boy who had female friends and would love to be dating them, but was instead in the role of listening to them complain about all of their boyfriends. But I'm still friends with all of them. <laughs> And, uh, you know, they're, they're all happy in their lives, happily married or happily enjoying their adventures and their single life. And, uh, and we're still in connection and they, you know, like they kind of, I think they have are amused by my non-monogamous adventures, you know, like, well, not for me, but that's pretty cool. (laughs) So my mom's reaction, right? (laughs) Not my cup of tea, but you do you. Right. You seem to be enjoying Um, yourself. Yeah. So, you know, I've had general uh, acceptance. Um, I don't inherently like explicitly closet myself at work, but you know, I, I work in, in, you know, not super conservative, but government. Yeah, you don't, you don't broadcast it, but right. you don't hide it. Yeah. Right. But, yeah. So, you know, if, if, if somebody asks me, you know, a question, I'm not going to, I'm not going to use Dana as like a shield or a camouflage of, Oh, that's my girlfriend. Right. One of my partners. One of my partners. Right. And, you know, because I just, I believe in living authentically and not, you know, because to say my girlfriend Dana as if my other partners don't exist would be A, inauthentic, and B, I, I think hurtful to everyone else I'm in relationship with. And I know that there's people who are in that position where they have to have a shield partner, right? That is their camouflage that they kind of exercise couple privilege and, and couple camouflage with. I'm just choosing not to do that. I don't know how that's necessarily going to play out. I think there will be some people who can't handle it. And, you know, those, those people will have to, those people have to, to express themselves however they're going to. One of the things that I've just learned, in, I went to uh, Center for New Cultures Winter Poly Wonderland. It was a wonderful uh, experience, a wonderful uh, program that they do. And one of the presenters presented this idea of the semi-permeable membrane, where if somebody provides you feedback, it could be constructive and useful, but you don't automatically take feedback in. Right? You kind of put it into this buffer zone where you're like, oh, I'm noticing the feedback. I'm noticing this. Do I choose to bring this in right, and do something about it? Or do I realize that this is really something that's about the person who's talking, not about me? Right. It's a great model for handling, you know, when you've got someone who just doesn't get you, right? Like, that's that's about them, not about you. Yeah, for sure. And, and I know people might be curious, you did mention children. Are those, are you out to your kids? Yeah, I'm out to my kids. They, they, uh, they know my partners, you know, I'm, I don't go into any detail about, obviously you don't talk about your, your intimate life with young kids. Right. Right. But you know, they know that these are people that I'm in a romantic relationship with. 
obviously they know Dana lives with me, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think basically where where I'm taking it is I'm I'm kind of waiting for the, them to have the curiosity to ask questions and then decide what the right you know sort of developmental answers are, you know, for where they are. I mean, honestly, in some sense, they're still it's only a few years out from separation and divorce. That's still probably more what's present for them in their life right now. Than, yeah. than dad and his new relationships, right? So, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I mean, we covered a lot of ground. We didn't do it in any uh, logical fashion, so <laughs> I think that's fitting for the maybe the the anarchist part yeah, of this. Yeah, we kind of we kind of bounced around a little bit. <laughs> then there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. So we're, I mean, are, is there anything that either of you wanted to make sure you got out into the podcast world? Uh, before we let you get along with your your evenings, I can't really think of anything on my side. No, you did I am really grateful for this opportunity. I had never thought about going on a podcast, and actually thought it was a little bit hubris to do it. And I had partners start talking to me about how being connection with me and hearing about being at choice and the abundance mentality. Um, of being grateful for people's no and understanding that that meant you could trust a yes when you heard it. So I would really, if people want to walk away with one thing from this, walk away with the abundance mentality, study that part of consent culture that that is focused around hearing a no with true gratitude and expressing that gratitude to the person who said no to you and tell them, thank you for taking care of yourself. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, and I mean, that's a, a great moral for any story. Yeah. So thank you for sharing it again yeah. and emphasizing it. And I, I know that we're going to wrap up, but I did want to, I realized that one thing we often touch on on our shows is, is safety. And I wanted to just, you know, because you both have mentioned that you um, have a lot of partners and how do you keep yourselves safe uh, with all of that, um, both physically and sexually? So I've, I uh, have done have some research and reading on this subject because, you know, obviously this is one thing where you can't have lifelong consequences of getting it wrong, right? Mm-hmm. For, for myself, I've chosen to do quarterly testing and I test for uh, I test for all of the common STIs. I still test for HSV, even though that's controversial for herpes, just because I want the information. If I ever convert positive uh, for HSV one or two, you know, there are some doctors who don't even really consider that to be a problem. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 It's, you, when you say controversial, not controversial in the sense that it's like could harm you to get the test, but that there's a lot of ambiguity on the reliability of the test and right. and a lot of the, the results from that. So right. you can have false negatives, you know, you can be a carrier, you can be shedding when you don't have an outbreak. Um, and yeah. and then, then there's also doctors who are like, well, and even, even if you have herpes, it's basically a benign skin infection, you know, so the, the medical community is still wrestling, you know, with how to handle this, but I just want the, for me, I want the information. Yep. So sure. I have it included in my testing protocol. I guess quarterly, that just seems to be the right number um, based on like how long after an exposure you might, uh, you know, 
uh, test positive for most uh, for most STIs. So I use barriers for penetrative sex with everyone except for with Dana. So I've just chosen to fully bond with one person at this point. Call it simplicity, <laughs> you know. But you know, again, that feels like the right choice for me. And and it's also what's been negotiated with all my other partners. Like you know, one of my partners I've been together with for uh, for longer than I have with Dana, but her protocol is barriers across the board, right? So you know, even if I were at a point where I were ready, were ready to fluid bond with that partner, you know, it's not in her joy to do it. Right. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of where I'm at. I also am super transparent. I use a safe sex elevator speech with every new partner. Um, I update my safe sex elevator speech um, periodically with my existing partners, and I publish my safe sex elevator speech on my FET profile. You know, as I get my new test results, I just go in and update my profile and say, "Here's my new test date." You know, so it's just the transparency model that I've chosen to go with. Yeah, yeah, very cool. No, I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, I, I follow the same, except for I haven't posted my safe sex elevator speech on that, but quarterly testing, very, very selective fluid bonding, obviously, just you. Barriers for, uh, for, for penetrative sex. I also, and being less on the sexual side and more on the physical side, I also go through every single date that I have, regardless of who it's with, it's always on the calendar. I there because there's multiple people that are connected on this calendar that can view it, so they know. Hey, Dana's got a date coming up. We actually use a tracking app. Funny enough, uh, for part of our polycule, it, tra- it tracks where your phone is, and since you always have your phone on you, you can always turn off the tracking. Um, it just makes me feel. I also have my mom on it in a section, a separate section, but it. it makes me feel comfortable when I go out on on any sort of date or any sort of travel where it's by, where I'm by myself or where it's the first time I've, I've met this person or anything like that. There's always several people that know. There's um, tracking on my phone. The normal dating things that women have to end up doing, which is like the don't leave your drink unattended. If you do toss that drink out, it's no longer good. I carry around... I carry around... Uh, protective things like i don't carry around pepper spray because that's i believe illegal in virginia or at least or at least mace is illegal in maryland i can't remember virginia unless if it's runner's spray um but <laughs> yeah like a knife kind of thing so right. it's keeping yourself protected but also trusting in your safety net kind of thing right yeah. yeah. Yeah, no. I well, think, thank you for sharing. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, thank you for answering that one last question. I just, I thought of it and I was like, <laughs> that's something that we usually cover. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, maybe with that, we can let you get along with your evening. It's quite a bit later there than here. Our apologies. And uh, we want to make sure that you get the proper amount of sleep per Peter's schedule. <laughs> and. <laughs> Oh, we got something else going on after this. Hey, we have to pack. We have to pack for someone's birthday weekend. Ah, well, very exciting. Well, we won't keep you from that. And uh, happy early birthday! Yeah, that's and, awesome. <laughs> and uh, maybe we'll get to do it again in a year or so. Fantastic. So see an update. Yeah. Awesome. That'd be great. All right. Well, thank you guys. Thank and you. Have a wonderful night. Good night. Have a good one. 
And we're back. Thanks to Dana and Peter for reaching out to us, coming on the show, sharing your story. You know, they had... Quite the journey. I was going to say, quite the journey. Both of them, separately and together. Also, I'm going to try to get on Peter's training regimen, where he makes me sleep a certain number of hours every night, and he stops me from drinking the things I shouldn't drink and eating the things I shouldn't eat. He's he's a four-hired coach. Yeah. Gym coach. Why not? (laughs) I'll be signing up, Peter. Uh, Reach out. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again for coming on. And what's next? Friday, we've got our final Focus Fridays. Say that five times fast. Final Focus Fridays. Five final times Focus fast. Fridays. It's the final one, but For don't now, worry. For now, of season one. This is season one. We'll likely do a season two at some point. Or we'll be crazy and skip right to season four. Who knows? You never know. But first off, we got episode 10 for you. This is a conversation actually with Catherine Scantlin. She's a relationship coach. We had her on episode two of Focus Fridays as well. But we wanted to talk with her because we had people call in to the show and well, call in to leave us voicemails about how they brought up non-monogamy to their partner. You may have remembered us asking for those calls back in like November timeframe, but this is the discussion where we talk about how to bring up non-monogamy to your partner. Yep, and it's a great, fun episode. So thank you to everybody who called in. We hope you enjoy that one. And then next week, we've got episode 118, believe it or not. And that is with Kamala Devi and Michael. And she is an author, and they are big uh, advocates in the uh, non-monogamy community in Southern California. So you'll be interested to hear that one, and we're excited to bring it to you in a week. Hope everyone's doing well, staying safe, and hanging in there through all of this. Um, and healthy. Stay healthy. That's yeah. What, that's the most important thing. Take care take of yourselves. Yourself. <laughs> take, take care of your families and loved ones. And again, if you're looking for some community, check out our website, normalizingonmonogamy.com. Click on the Patreon button and come join us, even if you just check it out for a month and see if it's for you. I think you'll find it is. We'd love to have you. We would. And so would the other people, the other patrons. That's fair. Yeah. All right. That's enough promoting ourselves. (laughs) Have a great evening. Enjoy and take care. Yes. Thank you so much for listening.